Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and this is the podcast that Mr. Daly didn't know we were recording until live <laughs> during the recording of last Thursday's podcast. Good when times, I kind of good dropped, times. Dropped the announcement like, by the way, I need you to find some time on Sunday because I have a feeling there's going to be some news coming down the pipeline on <laughs> some Friday. And of course there was, yep. but my friend, it is right now as we sit here recording January 15th. We're halfway through January, which is crazy. How the heck are you? How was your weekend? It's been a great weekend. It was uh, my youngest son's birthday. It was NFL wildcard weekend. Oh man, there was just so much good going on uh, this weekend that it's going to be tough to go to work tomorrow. But hey, that's uh, that's part of the the, the daily grind. You got to go out there and earn your living. <laughs> but at least I can say that the past couple of days have been a heck of a lot of fun. But how about you? You got, I don't know how you're going to do this. You've, you've got like, what, four days of work, and then you guys are off to TO on Friday to go and check out that Raptors game. Oh, man, I'm if, if that was me, like I, I just know I would have a lot of trouble trouble focusing on basically everything between, you know, wheels up and touchdown in Toronto, go check out the game between the Raptors and the Celtics, and then, man, that's going to be cool. I'm, I'm very man, jealous. Dude. I have a lot of trouble focusing, period. <laughs> I have to keep the blinds closed in my office because if a butterfly goes by, my day is done, man. My day yeah. is done. And and the Toronto thing, man, like I've been to Toronto so many times, but I've never been there in the winter and I'm not a cold weather city guy. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to plan my wardrobe and, and I'm like thinking like, okay, Nike dry fit t-shirt, OVO hoodie, and an <laughs> OVO varsity jacket, and then a Canada goose, a rain jacket on top of that. And then I went and bought Timberland boots today. I'm not a boots guy at all. So I'm kind of freaking out and it's supposed to be dry and like minus one those days, but not a cold weather guy. So I'm trying to psychologically and physically get prepared to visit a cold weather city in the middle of January. But yeah, super pumped up. So cool. we fly... We fly Friday, get to hang out there on Friday and Saturday, see the game Saturday night, and we fly back. And of course, the following weekend is the weekend that we long planned, which is a trip down to uh, to Portland. And, and for those that don't know, again, we're in Vancouver, so we're in the Pacific Northwest, an hour and a half, two hours north of Seattle, right on the U.S.-Canada border. And Portland's about a four or five hour drive from us from there, just to kind of contextualize it. But we are officially part of the the Pacific Northwest. But my friend, we've got some dates coming up fast. And yep. I know we talked about these a couple of days ago, but those those numbers just keep ticking down. As we sit here, we're 39 days away from F1 winter testing in Bahrain. Yes. We're 40 days away from Drive to Survive. Yes. Season five, season five, and 49 days away from the first Grand Prix of the season. And I just, I added this as well because it ties into something we're going to talk about a little bit later, but 70 days away from the first MotoGP Grand Prix event. And the other thing that, of course, happened this weekend was the first Formula E race of 2023. Again, I'm, 
I throw a lot of shade at Formula E because I'm still mad at the FIA that I'm thousand dollars <laughs> on tickets. But congratulations to Jake Dennis. He won the race from the UK, followed by former F1 driver Pascal Verline and Lucas Degrassi of Brazil finished third. My friend, and I think we've got some car launches coming up too, right? We do. So what we have uh, confirmed, Williams February 6th, Alpha Tauri February 11th, McLaren February 13th, Aston Martin also launching on February 13th. So that's going to be a busy day. Ferrari on Valentine's Day, Feb 14th, Mercedes February 15th, and Alpine February 16th. So super busy about a week or 10 days coming up. In well, just a couple of weeks from now, I was thinking, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a month off considering today is the fifteenth. But then, stare me right at the top of the list is Feb six for that Williams launch, so that's going to come up very Dude, very by the quickly. Way, that Williams launch, and and this is a tease, and you're going to have to listen to the rest of the podcast to find out why. But undoubtedly, the car reveal I am officially most excited for is the Williams reveal, and I'm yep. never excited about a Williams reveal. <laughs> I am crazy excited, but again. To find out why, you have to listen to the end of the podcast. Exactly. Way to throw a, a tease in there <laughs> like, like that right I'm off learning. the top. I'm learning. Good for you, man. We'll, we'll all learn eventually, right? Um, me yeah. probably uh, last of all, but uh, hey, I was always a late to the party, so to speak. Okay, so this is kind of a cool stat that uh, that you uh, picked up. I think this was uh, this one's from Autosport, right? Yeah. Um, and this is F1 car weight. So going back from uh, 2007. So the F1 cars today weigh almost 200 kilograms more than uh, they did in 2007. So if you want to get the uh, get that into pounds, multiply that by 2.2. So 605 kilograms back in 2007. And right now we are at 796 kilograms for 2023. And that's actually two kilograms lighter. And then they were last year, but there's some big jumps along the way here. So from uh, 2007 to 2010, they went up uh, 15 kilograms or about what, 33 pounds, 34 pounds thereabouts. And then between 2010 and 2011, another 20. Then there was a big jump uh, between 2013 and 2014, which you would expect because that's when we transitioned into the V6 uh, turbo hybrid era in 2014. So there's a 49 kilogram jump. So in 2014, the cars weighed in at 600. 190 kgs and then they you get some little jumps and some bigger jumps and then the next big jump was again beginning of last year again a transition into a new era of formula one so between 2021 and 2022 the cars increased by 46 kilograms or about 100 pounds so that's quite a bit but this year like i said between 22 and 23 They've dropped about uh, two kilos or about five pounds, but uh, that is that that's quite a bit. Two hundred kilograms, and about four hundred and fifty pounds increase in Unreal. a decade Unreal, and a half. Man. Right? I, that that is yeah. huge. That is, but I mean, we, there's that. Um, I remember talking about it with you on the show. I guess maybe a year, year and a half ago. Remember, somebody did a really cool graphic and kind of outlined. Had like it was a graphic of like the different silhouettes of Formula One cars, basically through the decades and going right back to the fifties, the sixties, etc. Right, and then you had like today's cars, which would have been twenty twenty or twenty twenty one at the time, whenever we we talked about it, and they dwarfed everything else by comparison. But what I thought was really interesting was. Just the, the the increase in size, which really 
Leo lends itself nicely to this conversation because it was about that same time that I was looking back to those sort of like mid 2000s cars, like in size compared to the ones that they were running, you know, a year, year and a half ago, whenever it was. And they looked almost like they were dwarfed compared to the to the the, the ones that we're running now. So to see that kind of that, that brings up that memory, but then also to see like the weight as well. That's that's incredible. I mean, we, we talk about a sport where ounces literally can make a difference and then we look at this 200 kilogram increase in a decade and a half that really just uh just blows my mind the the difference between a 2007 car and a 2022 car man it's it's almost like they're two different racing disciplines and i know, you know serious, yeah. serious yeah. props to lewis and, and fernando alonso because i guess they're the last two the last two standing from that 2007 era of course i'm sure i forgot somebody i'm gonna get blasted forward on twitter but you look at those 2007 cars man they were they were probably similar Width-wise, but lengthwise, they were massively shorter. They weighed 200 kilograms left, which has huge implications for braking prowess and acceleration and being able to take the cars through the corner. And of course, as you add more weight, it has serious implications to tire degradation. And of course, in 2007, the roll hoops weren't as robust and you didn't have a halo. And the way that the cars delivered power was far more linear. And of course, today, when you're talking about these 1.6 liter V6 turbo hybrid cars, the drivers have to be conscious about charging a battery and the power delivery and talking about DRS. Like it's a fundamentally different car. And it's amazing that these drivers are effectively able to adapt. And of course, for Lewis, it's not like he took a 14 year sabbatical from 2007 <laughs> until 2023. But the reality is these cars are, are vastly different. And if you yeah. look at somebody like Lewis, he was been able to win consistently in all of these different eras. And of course, hopefully Fernando's going to have a really successful year this year. And I think we'd love nothing more to see him back on the podium. But yeah, car weight tells uh, tells a lot as you start to unpack why the cars are heavier. It's an interesting, it's an interesting history over the last 15 years for sure. A hundred percent. Now talking about Fernando, that uh, transitions nicely into the next uh, stat that we have. And this one comes courtesy of uh, motorsport.com. So most DNFs in the turbo hybrid era. So let's say just for, for, for the sake of it, uh, 20 races a year multiplied by eight years. Let's say 160 races, maybe 175 if we've been um, o- over 20. So since 2014, the driver with the most DNFs is none other than the double world champion from 2005 and 2006 himself, Mr. Fernando Alonso. He weighs in at uh, 40 DNFs. That's like basically a season and a half in modern Formula One uh, calendar length of, uh, of DNFs. That That's a mind blower. They're probably mostly all came with uh, McLaren. Then uh, Roman Grosjean, 35. Carlos Sainz, this was a bit of a surprise. 33 max for Stappen, the world's uh, champion 31 that was that really made me sit up uh nico hulkenberg and danny ricardo have 29 k mag is 28 marcus erickson who's now racing in indy has 24 sebastian vettel the four-time world champ is 23 danny kiviat alas uh, no longer racing in formula one has 22 Kimi Raikkonen, the Iceman, also has 22. And last but not least, one of the more maligned drivers, I think, is uh, is fair to describe it, is uh, Lance Stroll. He has 22. And Lance has been in the sport now since, what, 2017? 
That's, that's a long time, but uh, anyways, that that's, that's quite the eye-opening statistic there. So very, very cool. Okay, uh, Hammy, let's transition into the listener emails now. We got uh, quite a few to talk about. So thank you to uh, all of you that uh, dropped us a line uh, this week. Uh, first one comes from uh, Juan Solo on Twitter, and Juan has to say, "Hey guys, just wanted to say I'm still enjoying the podcast." That's cool because we're still enjoying making it. So it kind of works uh, both <laughs> ways, <laughs> but appreciate the love. Uh, anyways, I reduced my social media interaction. It's trying to limit the family screen time as well as just my own. The interview series episodes have exceeded my expectations. Looking forward to some good ones this year. Some things I'd like to hear you guys tackle this year. Sorry if it's presumptuous to make suggestions. I think you're doing really an amazing job. Number one, a bit more tech info, maybe like an info or intro to tech, what the rules are, who to follow, perhaps a guest who could explain stuff simply. Uh, number two, what I'm looking for more than anything else, some uh, info on other series, perhaps a series of poker episodes about other series, like a primer for WEC, WRC, Formula E, NASCAR, MotoGP, etc. What are the rules? How do the points work? What's a race weekend like? The growth of F1 should help the other series increase their viewership as well. And that's a great point, actually. Three, a sim racing episode. You may have done it as part of an episode and I missed it. Uh, from the F1 game to iRacing, uh, using controllers to $10,000 rigs, which I'd love to have. Uh, I think that would be amazing. Uh, what's the best option for each price point? I know there's stuff on uh, YouTube, uh, but I trust you guys more. Love the podcast and the community seems to be growing. I love that the community you foster is healthy, accepting, non-confrontational, which we do as well. So that's uh, awesome. Uh, you're doing great work and I look forward to your podcast every week. There's so much competition for you now. I really just want to see you continue to grow and succeed. And I hate that you want a trip to Toronto and Raptors tickets. Some guys have all the luck. Yes, I agree. Hammy, it's just not fair. You should be taking <laughs> us with you, but I know you, the seats are limited on the, the, the Hamilton private jet to uh, the center, <laughs> center of the universe. So finally, just one uh, wraps up. Sorry this was so long. Really just wanted to thank you for the good times I've had listening on longer commutes and for your honest opinions. Keep up the amazing work okay so quite a few things there um so number one was the uh, a bit more tech info uh rules good follows um i guess that could maybe break it down into an intro um so so what do you how do you respond to that one you know i've got a couple yeah, of yeah, yeah. names that kind let of me, pop to mind but go for ahead sure let me take a stab at a couple of these so this was a, a really good message to get from a, a really great listener and uh kind of kind of kicked me in the ass a little bit on a couple of these topics because there's some things that I've been meaning to do. One, I, I actually had a conversation with Bryson Sullivan, who now has the hugely popular Tech Heads podcast as well, which is a very, very good show about very technical F1 subject matter. He's been on our show a couple of times, which has been amazing. First time in late 2021, I think it was, this was the first time he'd ever come on a podcast. Yeah. And then I gave Bryson's it early 2022. Too smart for, for at least for me, and I feel intimidated, but anyways. Me too, <laughs> me too, me too. But Bryson had volunteered to come yep. on the show again. So if you've cool. got some ideas about what you'd like us to talk about with them, I'm, I'm all ears. And then yep. we did our Power Units 101 last August, which was really well received. And that mm -hmm. was always intended to be part of a multi-part series. So in fact, right before the show, I was talking to Sharble and uh, we're working on a date for 
Power Units uh, 102. I still have a bunch of great listener questions that we're going to tee up for that. Um, and also, as part of this, I was at a birthday party, a children's birthday party earlier today, and I was looking at this email. And one of the things I've always wanted to do as well is a MotoGP 101. And I ended up reaching out to Ed Spencer because he's a big MotoGP guy. And he said, I'm in, but he gave me a recommendation of somebody else we should do bring with us for that series. Um, so I reached out to a wonderful young lady named Maddie Patterson, who is an F, or sorry, not an F1, a MotoGP reporter. So the three of us are going to jump on and do a MotoGP 101 primer show in February in, uh, in the hopes of maybe converting some F1 fans over to MotoGP. And then in terms of the sim racing episode, I hear you loud and clear. This is one of the things we probably get requests on more than anything else. I just, I don't necessarily know who to talk to because neither you and I are super familiar with the rigs. We haven't built them Mm -hmm. ourselves. I wouldn't even know where to start. But if anyone has a recommendation on somebody that you think would be a really great guest to come on and talk about starting your own rig and, and brands and tools and software, I think... I would be, I would certainly be uh, receptive to that. Can, can I make an admission right, right here? You know, if I had like a, you know, ten grand to drop on something like that, I think I'd go for the full flight sim. I, I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just me, but I've always had, you know, like this uh, fascination with like uh, fighter jets and things like that. But it'd be a tough call, right? I mean, I don't have ten large to drop on <laughs> something <laughs> like that. So I guess it's kind of a little bit easy to say to say, well, I, I'd love to. I you also know. pegged you wrong. I assume you would have been a train sim. Simulator guy, get that fifty thousand dollar train simulator going in your basement, <laughs> running that CP CP rail train down through choo, the choo. canyons of Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going Top Gun all the way, baby. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, that was a great one. So thank you, Juan. And yeah, definitely a lot of things coming up. I've got some ideas too, but uh, I just switched cool. jobs here a couple of weeks ago. So as my schedule kind of finds a little bit of equilibrium and I find out, uh, you know, what some some good times for me are, then I want to jump into this too, because it's Love something it. I wouldn't have been it. wanting to explore more. Okay, cool. Moving on. Kylie, email from Denver. Hey guys, love the show. You talk so much about F1 Media, what a poor job they do. But if you had the opportunity to write for the sport at the BBC or ESPN, what topics would you cover? Keep up the great work. So I'm not sure if we're, we're being put on blast or we're. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're, I don't know if this asked. is complimentary. So Kylie, thank you. I, I just I, I don't know how to take this one, but the fact that you're listening and you reach out is awesome. So yeah. I think for me, I, I talk about this all the time. But the first thing that I'm doing, mm. somebody hands me some money, some time, a, a platform to get my work out. I got to dig into that 29 Ferrari, and I think you and I could probably do this collaboratively. But mm-hmm. let us go and dig into that 20. 2019 secretive FIA yes. agreement with Ferrari. Yes. That yes. to me is one of the biggest scandals of all scandals. I would start there. And then I think more recently, I think I would really want to start getting into mm-hmm. uh, Formula One sponsorship and crypto. And and just the fact that so many of the teams in the sport itself were seduced purely by money without doing any meaningful due diligence to partner with some really questionable sponsors. And I think that could probably expand to just I extend to just sponsors in general, obviously rich energy, although Alanis and Elizabeth have done a fantastic piece of work on that. But um, even we talk about the fact that, and I always forget the name of the company, but you always remind me of Mercedes. And of course they partnered with that construction firm in the UK that was Mm -hmm. very closely implicated in um, a massive building fire that, that, cost the lives of dozens of people like i think that's the kind of stuff so i think for me sponsorships and i want to get to the bottom of that ferrari scandal for sure what about you 
Yeah, you know, I, th- I think those are great because those are ones that you know they they kind of pop up. They 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 sort of percolate up to the um, the, the top of the F one newsfeed, and before you know, they they've disappeared like dust in the wind, right? Um, so I'd love to to be able to do stuff like that. But for me, and this is maybe not so relevant to like the like modern Formula One, but I'd love to do more about like the the names and the personalities of like um, you know Formula One from years gone by. You know, we we talk about uh, Rush occasionally on the uh, on the show that the movie about the 1976 Formula One World Championship between uh, Nicky Lauda and James Hunt and what a great movie that was that came out was that 2015 2013 2013 that's right yeah so I mean it's been out for almost a decade now and just to sort of dive into like some and I know that it's been done but but by other people but it's something I would find uh, you know quite enjoyable and then also maybe like the the Formula One versions of like uh, you know Rick Steves and like travel and stuff like that you know travel to like different Formula One destinations all the different cool things that uh, you can that you can do like in conjunction with a with a Formula One trip that would be kind of cool but I'd love to you know I the one thing I do love is really good investigative reporting on, on any subject. You know, it doesn't matter what it what, what it is. So that would be, I, th- I think, like you, that would be the top of my list. But there definitely are some kind of like cool ones as well. Cool. Well, thanks for that one, Kylie. Moving on to, for, to Jamal from uh, Detroit, checking in by email. Hey, Mark Squared, thanks for re- reading my email on the show. I've listened to every episode of your show since you two synced up in 2020. Have you considered doing a series of introductory podcasts to other racing series? I remember many years ago that Shift F1 did some awesome episodes introducing other series, including NASCAR, that were fun and fascinating. I think uh, you guys would do an awesome job of this. Love the show. Peace. Well, thank you for that uh, awesome email, Jamal. So did you want to add to anything? Because you kind of like addressed it a little bit in the first email that uh, that we read off yeah, as well so I, not a lot to add jamal thanks for the email and specifically i actually remember mm-hmm. that shift f1 episode they did on nascar and i probably learned more about nascar than i i'd ever known before that and i was actually intent on watching a nascar race after that which i never actually did but <laughs> but i i know i know exactly what you're speaking to and i think give mark and i uh some more time and this is the kind of wizardry i think we would love to uh spin up yeah, absolutely. We'll start with MotoGP, though. Yeah, well, you know, we, you you're the expert on MotoGP, so you know, start where you know we got a little bit of exactly, background in exactly. it, and then kind of you know, sort of wade into other topics or other series uh, after that. Cool. Finally, Trisha from Phoenix is checking in via email as well. The best upgrade to the podcast in the last year was Mark Hamilton. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Trisha I didn't say. Two years ago? <laughs> I know that was a trick question, just to see if you're uh, paying attention. But you were a really good upgrade to the show. I must admit. Uh, and I don't say that with anyone twisting my arm. I mean that honestly. Anyways, the best upgrade to the podcast in the last year has been your new intro music. Who is it and where can I find it? Keep up the good work. So before you give away who the artist is, that actually comes via our good friend Micah at DJ Vinyl Richie yeah. on Twitter. And that, you know, Micah has to have the coolest Twitter handle. I like one of the cooler ones that I know. But anyways, you should tell the story because it was really the work that uh, that you did with Micah to put this one together. You know, I, I I can't even remember how I, I broached the subject or how it came up with with Micah, but I was just speaking to the fact that I think we've been s- slowly going through this incremental updating process of the show's branding, and the music yep. was one of the first things that we did. And of course, we built originally a, a great relationship with Micah's brother, um, and I think I think he got Micah into F1, and he and I have been chatting for a while. But he's big; he's he's in a band, he's big in the music industry, and he was a big part of helping JT the human. 
bring to life one or multiple of his albums. And JT, the human is a really great hip hop artist. And the song specifically is called, Are You With Me or Nah? And you can find it on Spotify or Apple Music. On Spotify, he's a verified artist, so it should come up really, really quickly. But uh, the cut that we have, that 30 second cut, was actually custom crafted from the song using the original, and I can't remember the specific music terminology, but they went back to the source, the master files, and actually pieced together the 30 second intro that we have. So that was custom crafted out of a really yep. great track just for the show. And I cannot help Micah enough for uh, for that. So thanks so much, man. Yeah, you know, it, it certainly was a massive upgrade compared to like the the, the ten dollar stock music <laughs> kind of placeholder <laughs> intro music that we had until we got something a little bit more bespoken. You know, I, I love it because every time we jump into the studio and we fire off that uh, the intro music, there it just uh, it puts me in the right headspace, gets me pumped up like every single time. So that was uh, that was. Uh, I'm still so grateful and impressed you were able to put that one together. Me too. And a big Me too. shout out to, to Micah and JT the Human for that because it is an amazing track. Okay, well, that looks like a good place and timely as well to jump into a quick break. And when we come back on the flip side, we've got a lot of F1 news to cover, including a bit of a, a sad and troubling one. And we'll do that in just a moment. We'll be uh, right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show for a Sunday drop, a bit of a rare news show on a Sunday, but like you said on Thursday night, Hammy, that this is the off season that just seems to give on giving. It seems like it's been oddly busy the the entire, well, I mean, except over the holiday break there between Christmas and New Year's was was kind of quiet, but other than that, the the, the news just seems to be coming most, uh, most days. There's something of note, but this first one here is uh, really, really 
sad uh, to hear. And this comes from uh, Jenny Gao. Jenny is a, a well-known Formula One reporter, and she's done a lot of stuff for the BBC and the Check and Flag podcast, etc. And uh, she had uh, a post here the other day that just said, hi, everyone, being quiet the last few weeks. This is because I've suffered a serious stroke. Uh, my husband is helping me type this as I find it hard to write and my speech is most affected. I am desperate to make a full recovery and work to uh, return to work, but that may take some time. Thank you to the medical teams at Frimley and St. George's and my family and friends who've got me through the last fortnights. Well, that is that is a really, really bad bit of news. And uh, of course, uh, I think it goes obviously without uh, saying that we've uh, you know got Jenny in our hearts, hoping that she's going to make a full and quick uh, recovery. Because you know she's uh, she's a young person, and to hear that uh, from from anybody at any age is just really really sad. And 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 this one really kind of knocked me back when when you shared that with me the other day, Mark. It was just uh, you you don't expect bad news at any time, but especially when it comes to, to to somebody who's in the prime of their life, right? People ask me all the time, Mark, what is what what F one podcast do you listen to? And reliably, consistently, the one F one podcast that I listen to. Every single time it drops is the Checkered Flag podcast. And a yes. big yep. reason for that yep. is just it's the Jenny. presence of yeah. Jenny and just yeah. the energy and the charisma and the presence that she has on that podcast. And whenever she's on on, on a broadcast is just so impactful that it's, yeah, this is shocking and sad. And I feel horrendous for her and her family and, and obviously sending out my best wishes. And I hope she has a full recovery, but she will be missed because she is just such a part of the community. And I mm -hmm. think you and I can sit here and we've been critical of so many people that are in the paddock walking around with their microphones and their role and what they contribute to the F1 ecosystem. And Jenny is just one of the superstars and this is heartbreaking. So like you wishing her and her family, nothing the best and hoping uh, she has a speedy recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And and hope that uh, like you say it's quick, speedy and uh, and she's back to 100% really really soon. Okay, well let's talk about the uh happier uh, more positive things. So this uh, next story comes uh, courtesy of uh, formula1.com and these are 10 rule changes that you need to know about uh, for the 2023 Formula 1 season. So we'll talk about a couple of them here. So just going down the list, ride height and diffusers are adjusted. Stronger roll hoops after Joe Guan Yu's crash, a reduction in the minimum car weight, which we talked about a little bit earlier, so two kilograms uh, uh, lighter this year, revised mirrors to improve driver visibility, double the number of sprint events, paddock working hours cut, qualifying format and DRS trials, tweaks around gearbox changes, a move to clear penalty confusion, and more flexibility to cool fuel. So there, there's quite a lot of uh, things that are being changed and tweaked uh, for, for this year. Which one do you want to jump into first, Hammy? You know, I want to talk about number seven qualifying format and DRS trials, because yep. this is something you and I talked about probably probably six or seven, eight months ago. And I like this idea, this concept that they're going to be trialing at a couple of events this year, because as much as I love the technical, complex, strategic part of F1, I've never loved, loved the the tire strategy and, and the usage implementation rules for qualifying. But I'm going to read this here from formula1.com, that article that you were shared with me, but it says mm -hmm. a revised qualifying format RQF will take place at up to two events in 2023 for the purpose of evaluating whether the revisions are suitable for subsequent championships as per the updated regulations. This will see tire compounds mandated for each stage of F1's usual three-part qualifying sessions. 
hard tires for Q1. So every car in Q1 will start on hard tires. Any cars that go to Q2 will run on medium tires. And finally, any cars that reach the Q3 session will run on soft tires. Intermediates and wets will be allowed if the RQF sessions are declared wet. And finally, at RQF events, each driver may use no more than 11 sets of dry weather tires, four sets of intermediate tires, and three sets of wet weather tires. This compares to the normal weekend allowance of 13 sets of dry weather tires, four sets of intermediate tires, and three sets of wet weather tires. But basically, the takeout here is that probably two events this year, we're going to have a qualifying uh, qualifying session where Q1, all cars will be rocking the hards. Q2, everyone will be rocking mediums. And Q3, everyone will be rocking the soft. So I like this. I'm eager to see how it plays out, but I'm curious mm-hmm. to see what you say. Yeah, I, I like this. I mean, we we've talked about it uh, before. Just uh, the you know possible changes to the the the, the qualifying uh, format, and we've uh, kind of looked back, looked down our noses at that failed attempt uh, several years ago. That kind of that rolling cutoff that just yeah, never worked. Yeah. It was it was doomed right from the, the the beginning. And I've always thought that you know even though that this format might not be perfect it's been a lot better than some of the other suggestions that we've we've seen out there but i like this idea of having the different compound tires for the different uh, qualifying sessions so it'll be really interesting to see how it uh, turns out but i think it's kind of interesting too that uh, this rqf will take place at up to two events so it's kind of like they're, they're leaving it open that if they try to you know a, a still to be determined race weekend and it completely goes pear-shaped that they have the option right off the bat is like yeah maybe we don't want to try this again at uh, at coda or japan or brazil or where, wherever they're thinking of doing it right that if, if it's just a disaster right from the very first weekend they can just kind of uh you know, just to kind of do a bit of a Jedi mind trick and pretend it never happened. But, you know, I, I do, you know, all joking aside, um, I do give them props for, for for trying this because there seems to be a little bit more thought put into this one. Not that there wasn't with that rolling cutoff thing, but it just, um, that just seemed very, very clumsy. I think this this is interesting. And the, the other thing is cool too, is that it'll probably give the teams a little bit more data for, for the tires as well, because it, it's funny too, because uh, you see at times say, well, you know, the hard tires and expected to, be of any use of this season or sorry in this race and then somebody throws a set of hard tires on for example and then goes and lights up the lap time so it uh, it'll be interesting too to see all the compounds uh, during like that qualifying session and just the the uh, the deltas between them because i love that graphic that we see at the beginning of a grand prix or a qualifying session and say well these are the hot soft medium and um, and and hard compounds for the for the race it doesn't really matter if it's a c1 c2 c3s but just the deltas between them is just like this is what you're going to get in the softs and it's going to be half a second faster than the the mediums they're going to be three quarters of a second faster than the hards so it'll be actually kind of cool to see that in in, in real time especially for guys like lewis or max or whoever that, that you know is going to are going to get through uh, an entire qualifying session unless something unusual happens right daily the other one that i want to ask you about because you and i have talked a lot about this over the last I guess two years, we've been rocking the sprint events. And of course, <laughs> we did three events in 2021 coming out of the pandemic, six, shortened six 2020. This year. Last year, we did three, although Liberty FOM desperately wanted six and the FIA shut that down. Hey, we don't have the resources. We're not ready to go. And I think that ruffled some feathers. But to your point, we're doing six of them this year. And I started on an absolute high. 
and I came down, went up a little bit, came down. But then I reflect back on the most recent sprint event in Brazil. And of course, mm-hmm. that was the one that George took. And of course, he won a Grand Prix that weekend by being able to build on that. And I'm like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little warmer on the sprint events. I don't know that I'm super excited about six and, and maybe I shouldn't have to be i i don't know man like you are like me you consume a lot of f1 we're two years almost well i guess we're heading our third year of this concept where are you what what headspace are you in when you hear sprint races oh i'm in in exactly the same place as you are hammy because i was like just like you two years ago like when we were sitting down hey yeah sprint races they're finally gonna happen and you know right out of right out of the shoot it was just like yeah this isn't really what i was kind of hoping but you know we'll, we'll we'll just kind of like move on. We'll see it again. And then we saw it a couple, you know, and then we've seen it more since then. It's just kind of like, I've kind of ebbed and flowed in a little bit, but yeah. I've kind of landed the same place. If, you know, each of one of them or as often as possible was like Brazil last year, that would be fantastic because that really delivered everything. And it really made for an exciting race weekend from start to finish. And, and, and I guess it all is really dependent on the track. And I know that it, you know, there's cynical me and maybe logical me cynical me is like oh six sprint races means more money in the pocket of everybody that can profit from 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 formula one but i'm kind of hoping that with the selection of the tracks that is going to have like a sprint race this year i'm hoping it's going to give a large enough sample to look ahead to beyond 2023 and 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 say okay these are the tracks that that we know it's going to be good at because brazil was awesome and if we could have five other weekends like brazil then that would be a real treat then it really becomes like appointments watching right because otherwise it'd be like man it's a sprint race weekend i don't really want to sit down like i'll go watch it but i'm not really super pumped to but if i don't then i know i'm going to be kind of missing part of the story so i don't like being in that space you know i just uh you know i need more of a more of a reason to get excited about it and like i say if we get more brazils then i'm definitely all for it Cool. Anything else on this list that uh, piqued your interest or that you wanted to touch on? Um, well, I guess the other one too was a, a move to clear up the penalty confusion. This was number ah, nine or num- number nine on Formula One dot com's list because there was just you know so much of it uh, last year, and uh, so I'll just read the the entire two paragraphs. So uh, I'll start here. Quote: Grid penalties came under the spotlight at last year's Italian Grand Prix, where a host of drivers took power unit and gearbox related drops and turned the order on its head. Following some confusion over how these were applied, the wording of the regulations has been updated. The relevant section now reads, quote, classified drivers who've accrued more than 15 cumulative grid position penalties, penalties, pardon me, or have been penalized to start at the back of the grid will start behind any other classified driver. The relative position will be determined in accordance with their qualifying classification. So, End quote. So we'll we'll see how that works, but I'm glad that uh, that they they're they're doing something about it because I wouldn't say that it made a mockery of things, but it was yeah. pretty close to it. It it just had a real kind of bush league feel about it. It's like, hey, this is supposed to be the the, the pinnacle of of global motorsport, and these the, these penalties and how they're applied and just the optics just looked uh, it didn't look great. So I'm glad that uh, that they've uh, decided to to do something. Uh, about it okay well let's move on to the next one and this is dialing back to something that you and i talked about 
Ooh, it's been quite a while. It might be even about this time last year. So this was the whole thing of like paid subscriptions for add-on features. In And so we're getting away from Formula One, but to some of these premium features that uh, you can get uh, in a car. So at the time we were talking about uh, BMW and it was uh, for things like uh, the remote uh, engine start. So you're basically unlocking features that would be basically behind a, a paywall so they've decided to uh you know to, to, to stick with us they've doubled down on these uh, paid sus- uh, subscriptions in the usa so if you want a bmw and you have things like the the remote engine start they're going to charge you 105 bucks per year to be able to access these uh premium features i'm just like Half of me is like, well, you know, if you've got the coin to buy a BMW, then what's another $105 per year? But at the same time, it's like if I'm you know, buying a luxury car like a BMW or a Mercedes or a Lexus or whatever, shouldn't all of these features already be included? It's just like I, I just find it a bit of a uh, I, it. I don't know. Maybe sleazy's going too far, but it just uh, it, it just does not sit well with me, this one. This is the reason I added this to the podcast, by the way, is because you and I talked about a topic very similar to this. Probably, yeah, you're right. Probably maybe even a year ago. And and it's I can't ago. remember what it was. Oh, it was because in the US, BMW was looking to put front seat heating behind a subscription. Yes. And, yes, and what's that's it. Yeah. Infuriating yep. about the concept of cars and subscriptions to unlock functionality is when you pay for these cars, you are paying for that hardware. You own it. It is physically in your car, but yep. they're forcing you to pay these subscriptions or additional one-time fees to unlock the capabilities. And you know, this article here from Scark Scar carscoops.com <laughs> uh, indicates that in Australia, for example, on many BMWs, front seat heating, steering wheel heating, parking assistant professional, real time traffic in- information, adaptive M suspension, BMW driver recorder, remote engine start, Apple CarPlay, and USB map update are available through subscriptions. When you buy your fully loaded BMW, you may have to subscribe to nine different subscriptions to unlock the functionality in your car, which is just the most mind-blowing thing in the world. Like I mm-hmm. get memberships, I get subscriptions, like makes total sense when I go to Costco and I get my annual subscription, I know what I'm getting. And it makes total sense when I enroll in Disney Plus every year for whatever huge amount it's going to be in the next couple of months because they keep increasing <laughs> it. But when I, I know, buy right? a car and I own the hardware, how dare you put it behind a, a paywall? And unfortunately, BMW received, a well, fortunately, BMW received some backlash when this was announced last year. But mm-hmm. to your point, the word you said right off the top is they're doubling down. They're, they're all in that this is the future. And the only reason they would be doing this is if cu- or consumers have been receptive to it, which is just kind of unfortunate because it sets a really bad precedent because if it works in the luxury market, you know damn well it's going to trickle down into the types of vehicles that you and I buy, our Maybachs and such. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I, I mean, it's it's a different level than say, like if you buy a new car and you 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 don't want to spend the money to get like a Sirius XM radio app. The thing is, you can still listen to terrestrial radio. You can still listen to AM and FM radio. Although yeah. I can't remember the last time I did. But the thing is that that's that. 
that audio player in the car isn't useless, you know. I mean, I stream everything off of my phone. I mean, as soon as I jump in, it connects to the Bluetooth. I'm listening to podcasts and music, whatever, you know, whatever it is, right? Whatever, whatever I feel like listening to. But the thing is, and, you know, I have serious radio in my car and I love it. But the thing is that if I didn't have it, I could still, you know, I could still use other, you know, there's still other options to use that audio player. So it's not like it's just this, you know, stupid thing. I can hit the power button and nothing happens. Whereas, you know, you know, I go to try and turn on the the seat, my X5 or something because it's a cold day and I need to uh, heat my derriere. It's just like, you know, yeah. hmm. 105 bucks yeah yeah i don't like it i don't like it but not that i'm one for frivolous lawsuits but i'm kind of hoping that somewhere somebody's uh you know pouring through these because like you say the stuff's already in the car so are you gonna you know are you gonna reduce the from the cost of the price of the car if i decide not to opt into you know the bum warmers or the premium you know other features like the remote starts and whatever else it is i don't think so i mean i'm sure that you know if it's 75 grand for what whatever it is it's 75 grand it's just i don't know it doesn't sit well with me so i hope that uh, some clever lawyering happens because i don't know it just i think that as usual it's uh, you know it's the consumers they get kind of stiffed but you know if, if there's receptivity to it in the market is is like really honestly come on guys Anywho, let's take uh, take another quick break here, Mark. We'll come back on the other side. Still plenty of things uh, to talk about. We were talking about maybe getting gouged in the pocket here for, for people like you and me, but it's not the only place it's happening. And we'll talk about it in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, welcome back to the show indeed. So we did uh, briefly uh, talk about this uh, the other night, but uh, Formula One teams are still pushing for this huge, gigantic, massive hike to up to $200 million for new race hosting fees for new <laughs> entrants, new venues that want to host a Formula One race. This is absolutely mind blowing. What was it? We, we've talked about it before because we had the, you found a list there last year. I remember looking, I think it was like venues like Saudi and I think it was like Azerbaijan. They were paying what about 50, 60, maybe mid 60 million ish yeah. dollar for the race hosting fees. But I mean, this is you know, pretty much quadrupling that. I mean, that's a, a massive, massive, well, tripling it at least, but I mean, wow, huge, huge. Yeah, the the race.com, the article here is is really about, and again, I think our listeners are going to get a little bit tired about this, but it's the push to increase the effectively the anti-dilution or the expansion fee for new teams. And and the reason why this race.com article kind of struck a chord with me is we know that Liberty is not particularly 
interested in allowing a team to sign up based on this $200 million anti-dilution fee. And we know the team sure as hell aren't because they're ultimately the ones that prosper from the anti-dilution fee because they slice it up evenly amongst themselves to kind of calm their nerves in terms of the potential threat of losing some of the prize money. But one of the things that made a lot of sense to me here is the most recent Concord Agreement, which is effectively what binds the FIA and the teams and, and Liberty FOM all together into an agreement, which is the championship ultimately is that the most recent Concord Agreement was signed in 2020, and it runs from 2021 to 2025. That is the document that calls out the anti-dilution fee, the expansion fee. And it it occurred to me that teams are probably going to work, and FOM are probably going to work to keep kicking this topic down the road far enough that they can negotiate into the new Concord Agreement that will go live in 2026, that massively expanded anti-dilution fee. So the reality is the teams are cool on this and Liberty's cool on this. And the FIA it seemingly on its own accord has gone out and done this expressions of, or interests of expression or expressions of interest uh, process. But I think the teams and, and FOM, if left to their devices, are fully intent on letting this existing Concord agreement run out so they can bake in a significantly higher expansion fee in the 2026 document. And I know it might seem like it's a long way away, but really after this year, there's only two years left in this agreement. They'll probably start negotiating the next Concord agreement in 2024. They'll probably have to sign it by mid-2025 so it's ready to go live for 2026. They may not even want to entertain the topic of expansion until that new agreement's in place. So again, we talk about Andre and the fact that they had this opportunity with Sauber and they couldn't bring the capital together to do it. And this might also be one of the reasons why Andretti feels the desperate need to get his bid and his his expansion bid in place and locked and loaded and agreed to because he probably anticipates and knows that the teams are going to line up a six, seven, eight hundred million dollar expansion fee in the 2026 Mm. Concord Agreement. And I don't think there's any chance that he and his backers are going to be able to make that happen. And I don't know that there's necessarily a ton of people out there that that could, although we're starting to hear more and more that maybe there are. But yeah, the story here really is the teams and FOM may just kick this subject far enough down the road that the existing Concord Agreement runs out. Out and it gets baked into the 2026 document. Yeah, you're right. You know, like uh, I, I mistakenly set up the top here for for new venues wanting to host a race, but you, you're right. It is the, the 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 new teams. But I mean, what would it be like uh, for you know Formula One? I think is trying to position themselves as one of the premier sporting leagues series whatever you want to call it in the entire world what would be like the expansion fee for the new nba franchise Four do we have billion. any idea on the- yeah so it's it's pretty pretty seriously so it's the nhl which is the example that keeps coming up the las yeah. vegas knights went for 500 million dollars a couple of years ago and seattle who was the 32nd team that came in a couple of years after vegas went for yep. 650 the nhl is not a fair comp to the nba because their national tv deals are so much smaller but it's readily understood that when the NBA looks to expand after the next CBA and TV deals locked and loaded that they're going to look at 4 billion for Vegas and four and a half billion for Seattle, at least if you listen to Bill Simmons. Mm. And I think he's got some insiders, but that maybe contextualizes it. And again, I think if there was an NFL team an NFL expansion team up today, and again, that TV, that, that league's already pretty rich in terms of team count, but I don't think there would be any doubt that an NFL team would go for less than six or $7 billion. 
Yeah, you would have to think so because I mean the 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 NFL still kind of like stands out on its own a, a little bit. But I really find it just uh, maybe on a bit of a tangent here, just the, the the way that the stock in the NBA is really risen because I mean the, the NBA has always been popular. I mean basketball has always been a popular sport, but it just uh, maybe you can enlighten me and maybe uh, perhaps some of our listeners too just how much that the like the 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 value of these nba franchises have like increased in the time it's, scale because it's for, not for me math. it seems like it's yeah not it seems math. like it's accelerated in a fairly short amount of uh like a short time frame is this am i correct in that yeah, and, uh, observation and there's nobody that's a bigger no pun intended but there's really nobody that's a bigger cheerleader for the nba than than i am and and they've been hugely They've, they've been the chief beneficiaries of some pretty significant TV money over the course of their last couple of TV deals. And I think when you look at professional sports, at least in North America, the single most important thing to those sports are their national TV deals. That's what pumps the vast majority of operating income into those sports. And when it comes to TV money, the NFL is absolute king. And that makes sense because NFL TV numbers are monstrous. In the NBA, people consume the sport, but they consume it through regional sports networks and streaming and piracy and social media and all these different ways. And Mm -hmm. the NBA TV deals are good, but they're good not necessarily because of the viewership, but simply because live TV, broadcast TV is otherwise dying. That the only way these TV networks are basically staying afloat is by getting their getting their claws into live sports. So the NFL's really sorry, the NBA's really benefited by the fact that it's had some really pumped up TV contracts recently. And again, the the current TV deals are going to lap soon and the NBA is going to be looking at some TV deals that could possibly be in the 50, 60, 70, 75 billion dollar range. And I think that's what's really helping to stimulate these values. But I get the NFL team valuations. The NBA ones seem a little bit rich, but then again, it's one of those things where there's only 30 NBA teams in the world. There's only 32 NFL teams, and it's a pretty exclusive club to be a part of. And if you're a billionaire, it's a really cool flex to own a professional sports team. Yeah, you know what is also interesting is just uh, you know family and friends that live uh, internationally. How much more up to date they seem to be on the NBA compared to other American leagues. Like, I'll always get like a lot yeah, of conversation. NBA global with- reach is huge. It's huge because like usually like the only time like I talk with family and friends living internationally for the most part uh, when it comes to the NFL is in around the Super Bowl, right? Maybe a week either either side of it. But, you know, I I, I get messages and and I'm not like I don't get enough time to watch as much NBA as I'd like to. It's not a sport as a sport I wish I could consume more of. But, you know, I, I keep up enough to be able to kind of converse on a very, very, you know, you know, the 30,000 foot level, at least know what's going on. But, you know, I get messages from family and friends all the time. I'm just like, wow, it is. I, it constantly impresses me how people are up to date with it. Okay, well, let's uh, move on to the next uh, bit of news. And this is a um, a fairly big one. So we talked a, a couple of weeks ago about the the somewhat sudden decision at Williams to part ways with um, their uh, team uh, principal and uh, what was it sporting or technical uh, director. Yeah. And anyways, Yasuka Capito was a TD or sorry, a team principal there for the past uh, couple of years. He was out. That was uh, one of those things. They just decided not to uh, renew his contract by the end of the, uh, the well, end of last year. So December 31st. 
Anyways, they've announced that uh, James Voles is going to be the new team uh, principal. He's going to join the team on February 20th, just before the first Grand Prix of the year in Bahrain. He's going to be the only the third team principal in history after the aforementioned Yoscopito and Frank Williams, who was founder and team principal forever. Kind of strange that uh, Claire didn't get uh, at least a yeah, mention I, I, as co-team principal. <laughs> oh, I feel and this bad. comes from the, uh, yeah, and this is from the, uh, the, the Williams official website. Anyways, uh, James is uh, only 43 years old. Uh, he has been a key player in uh, Mercedes helping uh, score nine constructors, Formula One uh, World Championships, over 120 race victories. And that is just uh, an absolutely uh, mind-blowing stat. So he's uh, leveling up uh, from the uh, Mercedes uh, Motorsport uh, Strategy uh, Director, which uh, he's uh, been in that position for the past four seasons. He's been in uh, Formula One for over 20 years. And uh, this is this is pretty big. He's been with Mercedes since 2010, since uh, that team launched. But I get a bit of a different vibe because the the connection between uh, people at that level at Williams and Mercedes isn't anything new. Um, you know, we, we've seen that uh, before with uh, with Patty Lowe after the end of the was it 2016, 2015, and that obviously just didn't work out, and they've kind of been on the decline ever since. But I get a bit of a different vibe about this one with James going to the team. I feel a lot more positive i mean he's a proven winner and uh, he's you know i mean patty did a good job an exceptional job at uh, mercedes but i feel like he's a step above uh, patty low i think this is a great move for 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 williams what do you think Hattie? this is a massive deal couple of thoughts right off the top is one this one came out of nowhere which just reinforces how leak proof that mercedes machine is because i think if this was any other team on the grid we probably been, would have been talking about this for weeks or maybe months in advance and then the other piece here too is the fact that Typically, when we see a transition of people capital like this from team to team, there's some gardening leave associated with it. In this case, mm -hmm. there's none. James has been given the green light by Mercedes to get straight to work with Williams. And I think this is a great move. And I think a big part of this is going to be culture. And I probably two years ago with you oversold Yost. I thought he was going to come into that team. And I thought he was going to implement some great culture changes and break down some of the, the silos with, in which the teams operated under that Grove factory roof. But ultimately, I think this is a, a great move. Because if nothing else, James, he's 43, he's been in the sport for more than 20 years. He's, uh, he's an engineer. He studied computer science. He's been involved with one of the most successful teams in the history of Formula One. And he comes over and he understands culture and he can rebuild the culture from the inside out because all he needs to do is mirror what was happening in Brackley up the road. Uh, and number two, he's also an incredibly intelligent person who is able to watch the growth and the metamorphosis of the Honda team to Braun and into Mercedes. So he knows how to build the team from the ground up. I think the questions are really going to be that obviously with Mercedes, financial resources were never a question. And those financial resources were always available. And of course, now we operate in a cost cap era, which will probably be helpful in his pursuit of turning Williams into a successful Formula One racing team. But I think the key is, what is Dalton going to be willing to invest in this team? And I know that Yost was eventually hoping to do a fairly significant revamp or redevelopment of the Williams campus in, in Grove and effectively rebuild much of the structures there. And maybe he wasn't as successful. But I think 
having been to Grove and walking that campus and being those buildings 20 years ago, it would have been pretty cutting edge for Formula One. But when you look at what teams like Aston Martin are doing, it's quickly becoming a pretty dated facility. All of that to say, mm -hmm. I think James is an absolutely epic pickup. And I think if he didn't go here, he was going to go somewhere because I think his development was effectively capped at Mercedes because the next step for him was a team principal role. And you have total wolf there. And maybe, maybe eventually he takes that 360 degree route and he's successful at Williams and he's able to find his way back to Mercedes. The, the other consideration here too, is that strategically, tactically, this also makes sense because it's important that Williams who have tried to show some degree of autonomy, autonomy, I, I struggle with that word autonomy over the last <laughs> couple of years, is at the end of the day, still a Mercedes customer team. And there's a technical yep. relationship between the two of them. But again, I think this is a perfect marriage. I think James is going to be hugely successful there, especially if Doralton or the future owners of that Williams team are willing to uh, invest in that campus and invest in the people capital that are going to be necessary to take this team to the next level. Yeah, you know, it, it is a great uh, pickup. But, you know, part of me still can't help uh, but wonder that, uh, you know, was there everything, ever anything to Capito and historical links that he had with Volkswagen and Williams and Drilton? And uh, at the time when oh, there was juicy, a lot of noise, juicy. you know, it's juicy. I mean, it, it's just purely speculation on my behalf. But I, I you know, I just, it's one of those un, unanswered questions. We had that, uh, you know, that question earlier. It's just like, you know, if you could report about ah, anything in so Formula Smart, yes this 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 would be one of them it's just like these sort of like unanswered ones where it's fun to talk about these things right it's fun to speculate it's just like what goes on behind the curtain that we, we don't get to see it's just like is that just uh, you know was there anything to it is there is it just like you and i idly speculate oh, but it, you know, it is so fun to talk smart. about right that's another perfect example where yas capito with great fanfare goes to grove goes to williams two years later he's out and there's just no questions like oh yeah he's, he's yeah. gone like, but why? Yeah, what happened? Yeah, what, what went wrong? Like, why is nobody asking those questions? Well, because, uh, well, I mean, uh, number one, I mean, Volkswagen, that was rumored to be looking for an entry into Formula One yeah. is not going to be coming into Formula One, but Audi is. And any other, like uh, those brands under the Volkswagen umbrella, it's Porsche that still gets kind of like you know, tossed around. They're, they're under that umbrella, aren't they? I think they are. Yes, Anyways, yes, I get a little yes, bit confused, much. but yeah, I don't know. I mean, there, there, there's probably nothing to it, but it is uh, certainly uh, fun to, uh, to to talk about. But yeah, just getting back to, to, to Williams again, I mean... This is a team that is, you know, it's, it's, I just find it such a sad story because, I mean, historically, they were so good in the 80s and the 90s, even into the early 2000s. They were they, they were there or thereabout. But, I mean, when you go back to think that this is the a, a team that hasn't won a race in a decade and the last driver to win a race for them was Crashtor, excuse me, Pastor Maldonado, who won in Spain in 2012. I mean, that's a decade ago, and that was a bit of a fluke win. I mean, it just uh, kind of like blows my mind uh, that, that it's been that long but on top of that i mean it, it was just like how quickly they really kind of fell off of the precipice because even back uh, you know five six years ago i mean in the the, the, the mid-teens they were still good for top 10 finishes and there was an occasional podium here and there i mean they had a pretty decent lineup of valtteri bottas and felipe massa and and then massa kind of retired but then didn't you kind of like the driver equivalent of honda leaving the sport but didn't uh, you know that's, that's a different story but then you know it just they kind of just really 
fell off the precipice there and they were at, at the back of the grid and you know in, instead of um, you know being able to have experienced or good drivers like Valtteri and Felipe in their car, they're going for younger, unproven drivers. And it was just uh, kind of sad to see. I mean, they were just not like, you know, a little bit off the pace. They were massively off the pace. And then, you know, Derilton can't comes into the picture a couple of years ago. And I, I must admit I had, uh, you know, some mixed emotions about that because there there was a bit of a romanticism to it, right? Because they were the last privateers on the grid. This is a team that Frank started, you know, like literally in his, uh, in his garage and built it into world champion. And I mean, there, there's some iconic drivers that have raced for Williams and won races and championships and things like that. So anyways, at Love the it. end of the day, really hope that, uh, that, that James Voles is the person that they're looking for, that he can turn it around. But like you say, culture is such an important part of it right i mean i think we've all probably been in that situation or, or many of us have that uh, we've worked at a job it might have been like an awesome job and we we couldn't wait to get started you get there and just corporately the you know it's, it's just like this black hole of negative energy and you know and that's an extreme example but you know maybe at uh, at williams it was just dysfunctional you know just uh like you say maybe maybe it's not only the the, the factory and the facilities that are a little bit dated now but maybe the procedures and the way that they operate need a, an upgrade as well and Anyways, wh- whatever it is, James certainly has his work cut out for him and uh, certainly uh, wish him the best of luck. But, you know, much like uh, Andreas Seidel and the McLaren uh, situation, I like how that there's n- this no enforced extended gardening leave that uh, basically he can tidy everything up and, and, and put a bow on it, so to speak, and go from Mercedes to Williams and get started very much like Zach Brown, let Andreas Seidel walk away and go over to, to Audi to start his new position there. Because that, that gardening leave thing, I mean, for, for people here in North America, I mean, that's something that's completely foreign and just, I, I find it a bit bizarre, but anyways, glad to see it didn't uh, take, uh, effect in this case anyways just looking at my notes here oh yes this is a big one i was almost going to um, breeze right over it and then you would have scowled at me and uh, rightly so um anyways just to to wrap up the the james bulls thing um appointment of williams uh, mercedes uh, tweeted uh, quote james has been a, a key part of the team over the past decade playing an integral role in our success in recent years we are delighted that he will take the next step in his career end quote But the next big piece of news is that Gulf Oil is teasing a return to Formula One. Hammy, you take this one because I know you're really excited to talk about I'm this one. So, so I don't want to steal your your I'm your, so your pumped thunder. about this one. So a couple of days ago, almost immediately after we posted the last episode, Gulf Oil International, who I don't follow on Twitter, but it got retweeted a thousand times, posted the following: "Big F1 news coming soon. Emoji eyeballs." And then what are you most looking forward to in the new season? (laughs) So, of course, immediately news erupted that this was going to be a a kind of repatriation. Repatriation, that's totally the wrong word. But it was going to be a, (laughs) a... a renewed partnership or a renewed partnership between Gulf Oil and McLaren. And of course, back in 2021, McLaren rocked that absolutely stunning Gulf Oil livery at Monaco that we all fawned over and the Mercer like crazy. But it's not... McLaren. 
And by all accounts, the McLaren Gulf Oil Partnership has formally ended. And it is formally ended because it is now heavily rumored, and hopefully we'll be able to confirm this on our Friday show, but it is heavily rumored that they are going to partner with a new team on the Formula One grid. And that team happens to be Williams. So this could be epic because, of course, Williams has really struggled to find a lead title sponsor in the past few years. It relied heavily on sponsorship dollars that came through their partnership, of course, with Nicholas Latifi, Safina Foods, and RBC. All of those sponsors, of course, have now exited. But it is rumored that Gulf Oil will be the new title sponsor or a significant partner with Williams. And this is the reason why I was very excited at the top of the show to speak to the February 6th car reveal that will be coming Mm -hmm. from Grove. So it's interesting. James is going to arrive. They're going to have this new major partner and this new major partner is going to have significant influence on what the design of the car is going to look like. So again, none of this has been confirmed, but it is heavily, heavily rumored. It's been reported on SI.com, Racing News 365, and a number of different sites. But this could be very cool because if you haven't seen the previous Gulf Oil liveries that adorned the McLarens, make sure you go Google and check it out. But the other reason why this is very, very cool story is presumably when you partner with a major international oil company, you're going to be able to secure the bag, as they would say on the street. You're going to secure the bag. And that is the money that James is going to be need to update and modernize those facilities and continue to bring in great people to support the development of that car. So again, this isn't confirmed. Hopefully we'll be able to confirm it on our Friday show. But uh, if the news is true, I'm excited, man. You were a huge fan of that McLaren livery. Your eyes popped out of your head when I mentioned that a couple of minutes ago. What do you think about a possible partnership between Gulf Oil and Williams? It's beautiful, right? Because I mean, this is a real old school, like uh, that that, that McLaren uh, livery that you're talking about is a real old school throwback. This goes back to like the late 1960s and the Ford GT40, which in uh, of itself is one of the most beautiful race cars ever designed and built, in my opinion. It's just uh, absolutely uh, gorgeous. But uh, as you were talking here, I just um, I, I just Googled it and I found this article on uh, the truth about cars.com. And there is uh, an article written here by a fellow by the name of Ronnie Schrieber. It said an original Gulf livery, uh, livery car, 1968-1969 Le Mans winning Ford GT40. So there's a, it's quite a long article here. And there's some gorgeous pictures of this powder blue the gt40 with uh, the the nose has got this sort of burnt orange on it with the uh, with the burnt orange stripe and then sort of like a, a a black border between the two colors the big golf logo on the nose and then the old school number with the white circle with the black uh, six in the middle is uh, just absolutely uh, gorgeous but uh, you know the the uh, the actual um, article like i say is actually fairly lengthy but there's one paragraph here that uh, i'll read it says quote the original Ford GT40 that wore golf oh, cor- corporate so colors hot. was raced by Gulf VP Grady Davis. The original race car painted in Gulf Oil co- colors was a Ford GT40, a chassis that was raced at uh, Daytona and Sebring in 1967 as an independent entry by Gulf Oil Executive Vice President, President Grady Davis. It carried Gulf's cor- uh, corporate colors of dark blue and orange. In 1967, for the upcoming uh, Commission's Sport of International, the sporting arm of the FIA reduced allowable engine displacement in the Group 6 prototype endurance cars to three liters. That meant that car, uh, the car 
car that won Le Mans in 1967, a Ford GT40 Mark uh, what is that? A Mark IV with its seven liter, 427 cubic inch engine would not be able to defend its title. Having won at Le Mans two years running, Henry Ford II had nothing else to prove and shuttered their endurance racing effort. John Wire, who had an important role in the development of the GT40, realized that the platform could compete at Le Mans as a group four sports car. So JW Automotive Engineering took over the management of the team and arranged for a sponsorship uh, from Gulf Oil, renaming the car's mirages the three mirages were built and they were painted the now familiar powder blue not gulf's indigo the colors were specified by davis who thought the, the lighter color was more exciting Gulf had earlier acquired the Wilshire Oil Company of California, whose co- corporate colors were powder blue and orange, and Davis wanted to use those colors. He may have been onto something. The lighter blue and that shade of orange are considered equiluminant colors. The human eye has a hard time perceiving the edges of objects when the, the colors and their background colors have similar luminance. That makes the edge seem to vibrate, which gave this particular cumber co- color combination a lot of visual pop. The visual livery actually includes a dark blue hairline border around the orange, which reduces the optical illusion and any visual discomfort while maintaining the most of the visual impact, end quote. So yeah, go check it out, thetruthaboutcars.com and just uh, Google that up. Uh, but yeah, actually like that, that's dark blue because it's interesting in the picture. It actually looks... Uh, it looks like it's a black, but just stunning, stunning stuff. And if we could see something similar on the Williams, like that, uh, if we saw that uh, just that one-off livery on the McLaren. Yeah, that's just, it's gorgeous. It's just one of those, I, I, I see that and I just think classic racing. It, it, it has a place in sport, in motorsport, just like I was so glad to see McLaren bring back uh, the, 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 the papaya. It's been a little bit uh, diluted. In over the last year or so, with the uh, addition of other sponsors, but that still is the main, you know, the the, the papaya and the the, the black is uh, still the main thing. Uh, colors on the, uh, the the McLaren. That's a throwback to the nineteen seventies and the you know, the you know the uh, the genesis of that team started by Blue, uh, Bruce McLaren in Formula One and Can Am and just you know I I just I think things like that are just really cool. There's a, a really neat vibe about uh, cars and racing from that uh, from that period, but. Hammy, I don't know. You're going to have to pick your jaw off the floor, my friend. I mean, I know this is really, really fun stuff to, to look at, but we do have one more thing to talk about uh, before we turn off the lights and uh, and call it uh, call it a night here. And that's just uh, regarding the uh, upcoming 2026 engine rules that are supposedly going to level the playing field for new OEMs. What would you like to add to that? Yeah, just a, a great story here from Luke Smith from motorsport.com. And I'll read here and I quote, F1 will overhaul the regulations for its V6 hybrid power units in 2026, placing a greater emphasis on electric power and sustainable fuels as part of the series push to become carbon neutral by 2030. The plans have already successfully brought the Volkswagen Group into F1 through Audi, which will enter in 2026 as an engine supplier. Its sister brand Porsche remains interested in making as F1 engine despite seeing its planned partnership with Red Bull fall through. And I, again, it's important to understand that Liberty embarked on a massive transformation of the sport when they came in five or six years ago. And a big part of that was one, hammering out a new Concord agreement in 2020 that went into effect in 2021 that completely changed the technical and the sporting regulations and the way that the money that the sport ingests is distributed amongst all of its relevant parties. A big change, of course, was 2022 with the introduction mm-hmm. of a fundamental 
potentially new car in the cost cap. That's one big part of it. But the power unit in the cars, though now frozen, is really a legacy from the previous regime. Of course, you and I have been talking about the turbo uh the V6 turbo hybrid power units since 2014. The power units in the car today are an iteration of what was introduced in 2014. So in 2026, as much as on paper, those power units are going to be similar, it's going to be, again, a very small displacement V6 engine with a huge turbocharger. Uh, The actual recipe for that power unit is going to be significantly simplified. Of course, the MGUH is going to be removed. The MGUK is going to be expanded. There's going to be synthetic fuels. But again, the reason that there's going to be major 2026 power unit regulation changes is they want to simplify that formula to make it more attractive to cooks that don't have a lot of experience in the kitchen. And that's a metaphor. But what I mean is they want to make it attractive to other manufacturers to build these power units because the power units that were developed in 2024, as much as I love them and I will shed a tear when they're gone, were so overtly expensive to design and develop that nobody apart from the teams that were doing it from the jump. So of course, we're talking about Renault and we're talking about Mercedes and Ferrari, et cetera. Nobody else was going to come and join in. And while Audi is coming, they're not going to be producing a power unit until that 2026 refresh. So again, it's just about contextualizing this transformation and this transformative period that Formula One is going through. So again, the 2022 cars themselves, the chassis were important, but the real package, the complete plan won't be really rolled out until 2026. Hmm. Damn, there you go. Yeah, it's exciting to follow along and see where this is going to grow and develop over the years and months ahead. Cool, Hammy. Well, I think we're at the end of the uh, the outline for tonight. Anything else that uh, kind of popped up uh, in between? We've done emails, we've done breaking, well, not really breaking news, but the, the most recent news. And I'm still trying to collect myself after, like I said, a very exciting wild card weekend in the NFL. So I'm going to have to go and try and you know, calm down a little bit here or else I'm never going to be able to get to sleep tonight. I'm going to be a complete wreck in the morning when I have to get up and go to work. But uh, anyways, I'm going to do your job uh, before we uh, shut the lights off here tonight. If you enjoy the podcast and you want to support us, by all means, the easiest way to do so is just to hop onto Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Leave us a, a rating review. It means the world to, to both myself and Mark, and we're very grateful for each and every one of them. And it really helps uh, the show grow and exposes it to, to other people that are searching up uh for a new uh, Formula One podcast uh, to listen to. If you want to get in touch, uh, by all means, the easiest uh, way to get uh, in touch with us is via Twitter at ScooterF1Pod or via email at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. Looks like Hammy's already shut off his mic and taken off his headset and is ready to bolt for the door. No, he hasn't. I'm just kidding. Hammy, do you want to say anything before we sign off? No, just got a big head shake and a big wave. So on behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, thank you all very much for for listening to the show tonight. We'll catch you guys in a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks, a couple of days. Enjoy your week, and we'll talk to you again really, really soon. Bye for now.